Welcome back, everyone, to Deconstructing the Bible. I'm Jason Stephenhagen, the Associate Minister at The Well in Rosemont, Minnesota. And we are going to do something a little different for the next series of episodes because I have a special guest with me, as you can see if you're watching this on video. But for those of you listening on the podcast, you have no idea what I'm about to say. But Stephanie Spencer is with me. So Stephanie Spencer, tell us a little bit about yourself. Jeez, where does one begin for for those questions? Um, I define your identity in two sentences or less, right? right? Good luck. <laughs> no problem. Um, I'm an artist. I am a scripture teacher. I'm an Enneagram coach. I'm a mom of um, two boys, fourteen and ten, as we uh, record this. I live in Minneapolis with my husband and my sons. We have a dog that we got in December that is. Um, a really fun addition to our family. Um, I used to be a pastor, sort of interesting tidbit there. I was a pastor at an evangelical free church, which is not all that common for uh, those of us of the female gender. <laughs> um, right. And uh, have forged my own path in certain ways uh, in the last five years, uh, doing the work of scripture teaching with 40 Orchards and Enneagram coaching independently. So I got connected to you probably about three or four years ago, probably four years ago now, while I was working at Bethel, I was told, hey, you should come check out one of these Friday scripture circles with my friend Stephanie. Um, our mutual friend, Christine Osgood, was hosting these. And it was for any staff or faculty member that wanted to. And she said, you got to come check it out. I think you'll really get into it. And as I am with most things, I was really hesitant and skeptical. And I was like, okay, I've been studying the Bible for a really long time. I'll go to this thing and see what it is. I trust Christine and we'll check it out. And immediately I was blown away. I remember that first one. I don't remember what we talked about the first time. All I knew was I want more of this. When's the next one? I went every single time it was hosted at Bethel. And it even got to the point where my wife and I were loving it so much that we just started inviting you into our home and saying, come do it with us and our friends. And then I signed up for a 10-week study and we did a root study and it was just beautiful and dynamic and uh, just an incredible experience, well, a spring of a couple few years ago. And um, so that's how I got connected to you. So I am forever grateful for the way that we get to explore the scriptures together. Um, and now you and I have kept up our friendship and go for walks and talk about the Bible and what life is doing with us. And so Stephanie, thanks for being you. Thanks for being the the artist, the the scripture, you know, teacher. Thank you for being um, the coach that you are. Um, you've you've shaped me in ways that you probably don't know, and and how I understand the Bible and explore it. And so I'm excited for others to get to know you and just kind of get a little piece of of what makes you you and and uh, and how you see the Bible. So let's kind of dive back a little bit into your story just for a second, and then we'll get to the the current day, and and we'll actually do a little scripture st study together. But tell me about like when the Bible kind of came alive for you for the first time, or maybe in a new way. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually like the combination of those two questions because somebody once described what happens in scripture circles as like, this is the way I always wanted to read the Bible. I just didn't know I could. Mm. Um, where there's a way I think it actually feels quite natural and um even though it also feels new and surprising. Um, so I think more. of, 
I think of both things with that. So like the first thing came to mind when you like, when did the scripture come alive to you is actually when I was like 13, (laughs) 12, um, because my, um, as many people have, I have a very complicated family of origin story. And I was a really, I was at this really low point of things. And I started reading a Psalm every night for comfort. Mm. And I wasn't in a spiritual tradition that emphasized reading the Bible on our own. And so I don't know where that came from. (laughs) I don't know how I thought that was a good idea, except there was something that was always in me that desired to engage with the scripture, to find the life that was there, to look for how the human experience is inside of it. Um, And somehow intuitively, my 12, 13-year-old self knew that and was looking for that there and found something there. Like I even remember like reading verses to my mom and she was like, who are you? (laughs) So weird. Fast forward then to, um, I didn't intend to become a pastor. I intended to become an engineer and then life took a turn in college as it does for most people and stumbled into church ministry, stumbled into seminary. And as a part of that, really for a long time, time for a number of years wrestled with this question of, of like this feeling of a desire to be a Bible teacher, but not really knowing where it fit, what it was, especially even in, in my context and being a woman and that changed some things. And, but just, uh, there's a, there's a verse in Jeremiah about like how he doesn't want to be a prophet, but if he didn't, it was like a fire burning in his bones that would Mm. consume him. And it felt like that to me. There was a fire burning in my bones that like needed a place and needed Mm. an outlet and needed, there was something that I knew was there. And so fast forward to, I was in Wisconsin for a lot of those years. And then we moved here um, and I was on staff at a church here as well. And as a part of that, I got invited into a study circle with um, a rabbi. Uh, His name was Rabbi Allen. And I remember sitting there and thinking, what? I know how transformative that first experience was for me because I sat there and I had this experience of this was amazing. And this is how all Bible should be taught for all time mm-hmm. starting now. And mm-hmm. so my very first sermon after that um, experience, I made an open mic <laughs> sermon oh to have it be conversational, um, which didn't go well, as you might imagine. But it was that sort of, a it was that awakening of like, mm-hmm. oh, this feels different. And I think the things that I would land on that felt different or feel different to me or why it's important is there's a sense of communal voice, which is Mm. why I opened up to an open mic afterwards of there's a way of studying scripture that I had been exposed to that says, okay, sit by yourself and receive insight from the Lord. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And this was, let's talk together about how each of us see and how the way we see complements each other. And there was a wisdom that was in the room, not sitting with an individual teacher that felt different, that felt like it was expanding Mm -hmm. in a different way. Yeah. I feel just to kind of double down on what you're saying, I I feel like there's kind of two ways that a lot of us have been taught to engage the Bible. And it's either there's an authority figure who's there to tell you what it says and what it means and how to apply it, or you're encouraged to go do that on your own. There's some moment where you're going to read it and you're going to understand it and you're going to know how to put it into practice. And there's really no uh, encouragement towards that that dialogue. There's no encouragement of like processing it out or talking about it with others. And even if you were to do it in like, say, a college small group, you're still, because most of the college students 
these are the ones that I was in community with, were all coming from that same background. We were really just quoting our pastors at each other, not our own ideas. Mm -hmm. And we really weren't in touch with our own experience or our own feelings or our own questions. We were really just kind of debating whose pastor was more right than the other. Mm -hmm. And then coming up with a, with some kind of a, you know, similarity enough to feel good at the end of the night, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to something more transformative or dynamic, like what, what, what you experienced with Rabbi Allen and what I experienced with you. And so, um, so yeah, so keep going. Yeah. Well, and I think that really that word dynamic is such a good one because it, it just, it starts to come alive differently when there are these multiple voices. And then where, where the, the other experience I think that felt so different, but yet familiar <laughs> was this, this idea that there didn't have to be three lessons for our lives that was defined by the teacher. There was a way that all of us could find a, a place into the applications of to our lives through the conversation. We There was space to meander. There was space to mm. wonder. There was space to have unanswered questions. And that spaciousness just felt very different. It didn't feel as much like someone was telling all of us what to do. It felt like we were discovering something and we were empowered to discover something and to mm -hmm. see something. I've, I've heard the 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 expression so often we read the text but maybe in a scripture circle the text reads us and and it has a way of like doing something to us if we allow it to happen but it might not be the same for everyone yeah and i think there's there's just when we read the bible we actually can see like if we read the new testament thinking about this lens of midrash which i think we're going to talk about it this this idea there's midrash is a good word for what this experience was and what 40 orchards then does so 40 orchards was birthed out of these um, studies that had existed with Rabbi Allen. Um, he has since moved on and um, teaches in other places. But then I have Lisa who leads and teaches with me. We're just adding another teacher on as well um, named Sarah, where we it's not just a one person thing. This is a way of study and a way of facilitating and a way of teaching. But that way is rooted in this comfortability with multiple perspectives and this mm -hmm. comfortability with the human experience being a part of how we read, not something we try to distance from how we read. So there's this concept in seminaries of exegesis, which is like, mm -hmm. you know, let the text speak for itself and understand the context. And there's parts of that that are good and true, but there's a way that it sort of has the illusion that we can take ourselves out of the reading. And we never do. We always have our theologies, our perspectives, our experiences. Our, we can't separate those. And I actually don't know that we were ever intended to. Right. I think we're intended to understand that context that is important, but then marry that context with our own context and with our own perspectives mm -hmm. and with the perspectives of someone other than ourselves and see how all of those things come in to wrestle with deeper yeah. and different questions, which yeah. I think is what the rabbis were doing. I think that's what Jesus was doing when so, Jesus was sitting at the temple steps. <laughs> so, okay. So let me, let me slow us down for one second, because one of the things that I think would be really easy to hear is someone can read the Bible and whatever they get out of it is just fine. You know, if they, whatever experience they're having with it, whatever it makes them feel is, is okay. The other thing that I think you could, you, you, someone could hear is, but what about like Jesus, because it seems that Jesus said some really specific things that he wanted us to know or wanted us to understand. And I would not imagine Jesus would be sitting around letting people just think whatever they want. And so, so, so tell us, you know, you mentioned 
this way of, of, of engaging the text and the term rabbi, right? A, a teacher. And that's the, that's the name that, that was given to Jesus. He was a rabbi. So tell me a little bit about why does, why as Christians and why following Jesus, does this actually make sense as opposed to being the thing that sounds maybe scary or it sounds too open or it sounds um, like we're not actually going to land on truth? So in the, in the parables in the New Testament, we sometimes don't pay attention to the conversation that leads up to the parable being given. Mm. And I think that some of the gold nuggets in, in the Gospels are looking at that context. Well, what was happening? Why is Jesus, what's the difference between when Jesus is saying a parable versus teaching on a mountain, talking to his disciples? What's, what's happening there? How is he a teacher? And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, it begins with this conversation with a lawyer uh, who's wanting to prove himself and test and Jesus's response to that lawyer is, what is in the law? How do you read it? Mm-hmm. And that question is so astute. There is, those are two separate questions. Um, and sometimes we say things like, as if they're simple, like, well, it's just in the Bible, or we just, mm-hmm. <laughs> just read what's in the Bible. Well, that's not how Jesus asks the question. Jesus says, what's there? How do you read it? He is right. assuming that every person is having a perspective on that. Tell yeah. me your perspective on what you have read. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you're bringing into that text. Tell me how you're seeing it. Yeah. Because then we have something to discuss mm-hmm. um, it, as we kind of talk about that. And so there's a way that we say, but you're also then still saying what's in the law, what's in the, what's in, but even there we have the word law. So in, that's being in the new Testament, the word law, it's in Greek, but it really generally it's talking about Torah mm-hmm. and Torah often gets translated as law, but it really means teaching. It's rooted mm. in a verb that means to aim something at a target. Mm. And so we sometimes think that the law is like a list. It's not. The law includes the book of Genesis. The law includes the creation story. How do you read the creation story? What do you do? You mm. think it's a story? Um, what's there? So we can all agree what's there is a creation yeah. story. How do we read it? Well, now we have a whole bunch of right. questions. Right. Do we read it as a history of a one and done creation? Do we read it as a um, time, as a scientific timeline? Do right. we read it as a poetic uh, take on how God intersects with the world? Do we read it as a place where we can see the pattern of beginnings that continues in our lives? Right. And we do can we read say it in contrast to other ancient Near East creation narratives and how? Maybe this one's slightly different for different reasons. I mean, yeah, all those contextual pieces really make a difference. Right. And so there's all this space to say, how do you read it? Let's talk together about how we read it. Hmm. Let's hear one another. And then those guards, when, you know, that sort of fear that can rise up, I think there's two guards that really can help us swell some of those fears. One guard is that we are still rooting in the text. Mm-hmm. We are still, and that becomes a part of what a teacher is doing is, is facilitating conversation through that rooting. Let's look at the Hebrew words. Let's think about some of that historical context. Let's think about the storyline of these characters before and after this point is a part of the conversation we're rooting there. Yeah. Um, and then we're saying, how do you read it? Mm-hmm. But then we also have the guard of one another. So it, that, that sort of, how do you read it might feel really scary by ourselves but in a room of people, then you have people who can disagree with you, who can bring another perspective, who can say, oh, I read that totally differently. Or can I disagree mm-hmm. with you on that? Yeah. I see this side. And so that there's a way that that 
um, that also sort of guards us in ways that we tend to be unguarded. Actually, we tend to perceive our truth as the truth. Mm -hmm. And there's a way that communal experience actually starts to help us see, oh, it's more, oh, look, an oppressed person reads that passage totally differently than I do. Yeah. Or a man reads that passage differently than I do. Or mm -hmm. a person who's Jewish reads that passage differently than I do. Huh. Right. I mm. wonder why. Right. And I, I, I love that because I think, you know, what you pointed out really early on there is that Jesus models that to us. It's not that Jesus comes in as an exception to all this dialogue and then says, okay, here is the one and only way of understanding. Jesus models that by almost throughout the entire New Testament, every, you know, the gospels, every time he's asked a question, he follows up with a question. I mean, there are moments where he does answer the question, but oftentimes he's asking a question in return. He's inviting the relationship. He's inviting the thought process behind the question. He's maybe even asking a question that's not even connected to the original question to kind of get underneath something. I mean, it's just so much of it is trying to dive in and understand where that person is coming from and what their motivation is for engaging that text so that there's a participation in the response. You know, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that I love about these scripture circles is that part of what we're doing is not just trying to understand the scriptures better, but we're also saying, okay, now how is this going to make an impact in the way that you live your life? Because if it doesn't actually cause any transformation, or if it doesn't actually encourage you to go out and, and do something different or make an impact, then we just pontificated for a little while and now we can feel smarter, but we're really not transformed at all. And so both in the scripture circle and what we see Jesus doing is always moving people towards that transformational en en engagement, right? And even the, what you shared, what you start, you know, the example that you gave us, you know, what does the law say? And then Jesus and have a dialogue about that, that leads to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that whole parable is about how you treat your neighbor, right? That was the context for that parable was, well, then who is my neighbor, right? And so then you get the story of the Good Samaritan, which is about participation and application, not simply about what's the right answer to the test when you get to heaven. I just love that participatory nature of it. I love the application side of it. And I love that there's dialogue as opposed to just, well, here's the correct theology or here's the correct doctrine. Make sure you answer correctly on the test. Yeah. And I think that's a part of then where we're learning from our, our Jewish brothers and sisters is because the, the Midrash that exists, exists from the old rabbis and the Talmud and the like mm -hmm. these old documents, everybody feels real comfortable disagreeing with each other. It's fascinating. You just see, you just see all these, well, I think this passage means this. I think this passage means this. Oh, I agree with this person. I disagree with this person. It's like the texts themselves are having a conversation that's holding space for all those different perspectives. And that's just not what a lot of us have been exposed to. Well, everybody, that concludes part one of my conversation with Stephanie Spencer. We are just scratching the surface of what it means to do midrash and to sit in a circle of people and explore the scriptures together. As you can tell, she and I are both really passionate about this and let me just tell you that for the next 40 minutes, we really dive in. We dive into Deuteronomy 6. We dive into Luke chapter 10. We dive into Mark chapter 12. And we just explore what does it mean to really listen? What does it mean to really love and obey? And what does it mean to dance with scripture and to wrestle with it? And so I'm excited for you to listen to 
the next few parts of our conversation because I think it's going to really take us to some cool places and hopefully, hopefully it will prepare us for a future where we can continue to explore the Bible together in new and dynamic ways. So thanks for listening to part one. Come back next week for part two. Thanks. Thank you.